Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Yeah. 
and make that happen. It's just beautiful. And it's just so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that gift. We're all ready to buy your CD, so just let us know uh, when it comes out. And <laughs> they really are incredible. We're so grateful. Their hearts just are so sweet and tender. Love the Lord. We're grateful for the whole Tankersley family. We're so glad you guys are here. I know you guys are proud of your daughters. They're unbelievable. Well, I, I want to jump right in. Uh, we, God has been moving already in this service, and so I want to get right to the point and see right where it's at. And if you've, if you've been here, you know we've been in the middle of this series called Why Church? And we've recognized that our culture is kind of asking this question. After years and years where you just went to church, now all of a sudden people are asking, well, why should I? What, what can that add to my life? And we know that out in culture, when we see this, that, that there are some, some question marks beside the church. And people aren't sure because really, honestly, we've lost a lot of trust in our institutions of any kind, it seems like the bigger they are, the, the more we distrust them. And the church has been one that we've sort of wanted to back away from. I've seen our culture kind of do that because of a lack of trust in it. And sometimes it's, it's common to hear somebody say, well, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. And what we've been doing is we've stepped back and looked at this and said, well, why church? We understand that when we see the church the way that God sees the church, we understand that as a believer, if you love Jesus, it's just a matter of time before you fall in love with the church. Because you are the church. If the church is not something we can step back from and evaluate. We can show up on a Sunday and just look at and, and sort of decide whether or not we want to be a part of it. God says you are part of it. Part of it. I made you it. Like you are it. You are the church. And so we stopped and, and have been looking at four metaphors. There are more metaphors in scripture for the church. But we've been looking at four Unique metaphors and scriptures that are profound, and it's been so good for me, you guys, to be reminded of the, the benefit, the value, and the way that God sees the church. This is not an add-on in our lives. This is what God has made us to be, and we begin to see it that way, especially as we step into our future as Covenant Community of LJ, what we desire God to glorify himself through our fellowship, when we look at this, I hope that this is, if you've been a part of a church for a long time, I hope that, that this sort of series, as we've worked through this, has caused you to fall back in love with the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the, the building of Christ, and now today, the family. We get all these metaphors help us see a different side of it. The building helped us see that we are interconnected, interdependent upon one another. God has mortared us together as the temple of God, and he inhabits his family, his, his church. We're the building of God. And each of us are interconnected together. We're mortared together. We can't be independent. We can't separate ourselves from it. You are it. He's made you a part of the church. And he's made us a monument to his majesty. Isn't that beautiful? And we also looked further at this breathtaking, just step back and say, wow, kind of truth that we are the bride of Christ. Together, collectively, we are his bride and we are betrothed to him. And he has brought us into this intimate and deep, rich, powerful relationship with God. God could have used any metaphor, but he actually dared to use one. The way a bridegroom thinks of his bride is the way that, that our God thinks of his church. That's, that's stunning. It's amazing. It says that he's going to present us to himself in fine light, white linen with righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And one day we will be with him. And just like at a wedding feast, there will one day be a feast where we will celebrate 
with him as the bride of Christ presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation because he has made it so in our life. Isn't that beautiful? And finally, uh, we, we've looked at, at this whole thing last week that we are the body of Christ. God did not, I said this last week, God didn't make us a trophy wife or just a, a trophy building and leave us on the, the shelf. He called us into motion. He's made us the body and he's gifted us so that we can give. He's gifted us to grow the church in love, uh, certainly not for show. It's about him. God has gifted us that we can grow as the body of Christ. And today, we're going to step back and see one more of these metaphors. I hope that you'll continue your study into more of these because there are more here. God wants us to see all of this. I believe in the same way that the four gospels give us four different perspectives on, on Jesus. In the very same way, these metaphors give us different perspectives that we can see every facet of what God wants us to see in uh, his church. And so we are the church. So anyway, I want you to, to step back and think about this. We're going to look at this absurdly profound truth. And I don't know if I could say I've saved the best for last because each of these has kind of blown me away. But I, I just want to say this, and hopefully you can take a deep breath. This has become some, a common phrase, but I want you just to pretend you've never heard this before and let your brain sort of register what's going on. We are the family of God. That is profound. That is earth-shaking. That is life-shaking. Down at your core, if you grasp this and get this individually, if we get this corporately as the body of Christ, as the, the bride, the building, all these things happen, we see that we are family. It is profound. It is huge. I mean, we should be eternally grateful that we're just not the enemies of God, right? That should be the metaphor that we could look at. But no, God has done all of this to make us his family. This is intense. We, at least up until recently, we've used family as almost a sacred term. Now, Apple and all this, so all you do is buy an iPhone and you're part of the, the Apple family. Uh, everybody is saying, welcome to the family. We get that. We all know because the power of being included in a family is a really cool thing. And we all crave it. We desire to be a part of a legit family. We really do. And you, we're Southerners, right? We get this. So we, we understand family. It's a priority to us. We believe in it. I don't have to see a lot of heads nodding. Y'all get this. Like, family is important to us. I don't have to explain the bond between family members. Honestly, we would do almost anything for family. I mean, can you think of anything you wouldn't do? Honestly, when, when I think about family... There's nothing we, we want more than time with family. There's nothing we regret more than, than a, a family that's split apart. And honestly, when you think about somebody whose lives in danger, family will sacrifice for one another without a, a moment's hesitation. It's not something you stop and think about. I wonder if I want to step up to the plate here. No, it's reflexive. It's like a reflex. We just jump into action. Mom's hand flies over and bruises again, you know, when you're pulling through because it's not just worried about me. Family makes us concerned about others. It's some profound thing. God has created us. We are born into family. It's something that every single person alive, you can't even be alive without having a mom, can't be alive without having a dad. Like, we get family. It's a prerequisite to being alive. Family is a big deal to God. And he's used this. He's saying, we are family. You guys get that because family is family. There's almost no other way to explain it, right? You get this. You understand what, what I'm trying to say. But I also want to recognize this painful spot here for a minute. I understand that there's, there's probably several of us in here. When, when I say family, it actually brings up pain. And, and, and you've been potentially betrayed or hurt. And, and, and some, some of you have experienced great fear inside of your family and great pain. And I want to acknowledge that. And at first I want to say this, that our church, we want to be a part of healing in that. 
Uh, and that's part of what it means to be in the family of God. And we're going to talk about the restorative understanding of this, that we are the family of God. But I get that. Some of you, when, when I say family, it's not all good news. And, and there's this part of your heart that kind of braces for pain. And you're like, you sure you want to call it that? Let's go with one of the other metaphors because family for me has been hard. And, and I want to acknowledge that, but I also want to step back and say two things to you. And I think both of these will, will help because I, I get this. Because family is so important to God, I believe the enemy has attacked family in a unique way to distort our understanding of it so that we dis, it distorts our understanding of God our Father and it distorts our understanding of, of each of us as brother and sister. And so I heard Louis Giglio say a statement back when I was in college that stuck with me. He said it kind of like this. He said, God is not a reflection of your earthly father. Because we were afraid that he's just like a bigger version of our dad. And when we think father, it brings up all these ideas. And we're thinking, oh, I don't know if I like that image of father. But, it, you know, what this statement says is God's not just a bigger version. God's not a reflection of your dad. God is the perfection of your earthly dad. Just, you know, whatever you carry with you, the baggage we have with us, and I'm grateful it's such an amazing father, but I can't say that everyone can't say that, and I, and I get that. Whatever wound that you got from that relationship, can I just say that, that God is not a bigger version of that. God is the perfection of that. He's not the reflection of your dad. He's, he's the perfection of your earthly dad. You can't let the enemy distort and destroy that word father for you. Don't let him have it. He can't. And we also get this, if you kind of stretch that a little bit further, God's family is not a reflection of your earthly family. God's family will be a, the perfection of what God intended earthly family to be. Does that make sense? And that's something that we're growing into. God has established it, but just like uh, the body, we are growing into that. It's an ongoing process. But if you embrace this truth that you and I are actually family, it's powerful. We're God's family. It transforms the way you think. It gives you perspective in so many different ways, and it causes us to want to live life together as we serve him. Yeah, it's awesome. So keep that in mind, and let's, let's look at what God says. The first scripture uh, I want to take you to is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And this, this will answer this question. I mean, this is almost too good to be true. When we say we're family, let me ask this question. How did it get that way? How in the world did we get to become the family of God? Now, you guys are in the South. You've heard this a lot. We're God's family. We're all family. Brother and sister and different things, but some of us have let this just pass right over the surface. I want to unpack this, and hopefully this lands in your heart this morning. It certainly landed in John's heart. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him Beloved, we are God's children now. Are you hearing this? John is like, I mean, behold is like, look. You know, if you've got behold, what manner of love. We get in the old King James Version. Look at how great and how big and how amazing the love of God is for us. That he's included us into his family. That we are called the children of God. You don't have to flip there, but Galatians 3, 26 says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. That's how this happens. We've been adopted. Okay? This is the first thing I want you to get, that we are adopted. I want to unpack this. So Ephesians 1 helps us do that. It says this. I know it's a lot of scripture, uh, but follow with me. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, remember that, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the attitude of his heart. He predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God uses this term adoption. Now, when we are reading this, we're understanding this grew up during the Roman Empire when this uh, word adoption was kind of taking place. And as we've said in almost all of these, we've looked back at the culture that was there in, in the present and how they perceived what these words meant. And I want to do that with adoption as well. Uh, adoption in ancient Roman customs was a pretty profound, amazing thing. It had a little different weight to it than even it does in our culture. And even in our culture, it's a beautiful thing. But it was, a, it was a legal device in some ways where a, a person would leave their, their, their previous family and be adopted and enter into the family of someone else. I think you get that. But you leave this family and go into this family. And in some cultures, adoptees, you know, that might have been considered less than a, an actual born biological family member, but not in Rome. They were considered even sometimes even more preferred. In fact, a lot of the emperors were adopted in because they would adopt sons into their family because they wanted to carry on their line. They wanted to carry on their inheritance. And so if there wasn't a son, they would go out and choose one. They would adopt one. This was something that they did carefully. It was something that was very important, and it held weight. There were witnesses to this event when it happened. I believe, I, I've read that, that the, the, the father, that was sort of the family that they were coming out of, would sell them once and then they would buy them back and they would sell them and buy them back and a third time they wouldn't buy them back and he would belong to that family. This adoption process was, was important to them. Now when this happened, the adoptee is taken out of a whole previous state and placed in a whole new relationship with a new father. And this is what's cool. All of his debts were canceled. Every debt that he had going into that new uh, inclusion, into that family, everything was canceled. Essentially, it was almost like he had died. His previous life was pretty much over. It was gone. He carried nothing with him out of that. And into this whole new family, he begins again. He essentially starts a new life. And that he gets a new father. You see, in, in Roman culture, you never outgrew your father. No matter how old you were, there was the paterfamilias who was there. I mean, that was, that was your, your father, period. No matter how old he got, he had authority, almost total power over your life. And when you got moved out of that into another one, it reorients your whole life. So the new father would own all the property and acquisitions of the adoptee and would control all of their relationships and had rights of discipline in their life. But they also... Uh, were involved in all the liabilities of that other person. Anything that, that happened that that person was responsible for, they would, they would take care of those duties and, and provide support and maintenance in that. In the, the Roman worldview, you've got to get this, that adoption wasn't looking backward. It was all about looking forward. You've started a whole brand new life. You've been adopted into this new family. You were chosen and you were equipped and now you've got this inheritance and all the stuff that comes with it. It's actually really beautiful. And listen, in Ephesians 1, Paul continues to explain what this means in verse 6. It says, he's done this. He's adopted us into his family. In, in verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness 
of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is beautiful. This is adoption. In him, you have obtained an inheritance. Isn't that cool? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you see this? In, in the beginning of this passage, he says, you've been predestined, you've been chosen, you've been adopted into this family that God would make you holy. And all the things that come with that, you obtain not only a new identity, but an inheritance and all the stuff. You've been completely reoriented. Your old life is gone. A new life has come. This is, this is profound. In John 1, 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, this is what the gospel is. This is beautiful. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has initiated, God has adopted you, and it is life-changing. It changes everything about your future, where you're going. So, so the second thing I want you to get, because we're adopted, that means that we are family. So let's break that down quickly here, because I want you to, to absorb this. This is crazy. What does it mean that we are family? Well, it means that we're included into this family of God. And as I said before, it reorients everything of your life. In summary, all of our relationships, pursuits, our passions, our pastimes, hobbies, our identity, our perception of the past, our perception of the present, of the future, all of this is impacted by this inclusion into the family. And when you accept this truth, it, it just rattles every one of those cages. And these little nuances are pretty powerful. So I'm going to break down several of these pretty quick. So if you're taking notes, you'll have to move quickly. But I want you to get this. It, this is what it means that we're part of the family. It means you have a perfect dad. It means you have a perfect dad. That might hit the spot for some of you guys because, honestly, our culture knows how important the father figure is. And look at the impact that a father has on a, on a child's life. And it's amazing. You can look at what uh, the impact of a child not having a healthy relationship with a dad. Some of us all understand that. It's such a powerful and important relationship. And I, I just want to say something encouraging to you. You've been included into a family. And, and I pray that God will grant you the faith to really receive this. But you have a dad. You have a perfect dad. You really do. This is not some figurative kind of thing. God has taught us to relate to him and this particular metaphor is so deep rooted in who we are. I want you to get this. When, when the disciples asked Jesus how to teach him how to pray, the first words out of his mouth were, Our Father. That's, it's just, he wants us to relate to him like a, a child relates to a father. You have a dad. And this is meaningful. This is a powerful truth. In, in uh, Psalm 68, 5, it says this. that He is the father. This is going to help some of you. Of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. You may not have a dad present in your life. And I just want to say this. That God has a special place in his heart for you. 
whatever it is, like pain that you've got right there, that, I mean, it's just it's been a sore spot your whole life. Can I just say this? This is a tremendous gift. You'll understand this in ways that, that some of us who didn't have the experience you had will understand. This is like a verse that is just custom made for you. God says, I am the father of the fatherless. In a literal sense and in a spiritual sense, he is our father. It's beautiful. And that means that we're no longer slaves, but we are sons. This is how he relates to us, not just as, as workers, but as we're children. Psalm 103, 13 says, this is the heart of the father. This is beautiful. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. <laughs> Isn't that comforting? Our God knows where we are. He knows what's going on in our life. And he has compassion on us. And so you have a dad. What does it mean? You have a, a perfect dad. Well, when I think of a perfect dad, I think of one who's willing to get in close. And you're, you're kind of always afraid a little bit of your dad, but one who lets you in where you'll be able to be in a close relationship with him, where there's some intimacy there, where there's support, where there's a, a dad's a coach. He kind of coaches you a little bit in a lot of places in life, but, but still there to provide discipline when you, when you get a little out of line. God is not in all of these things and all these places. He's not just a reflection of your dad. He's the perfection of your dad and all these things. And when I say discipline, it's discipline of a loving father. I say coaching, it's coaching of a loving, compassionate father and so on. God really does love us. He wants us to get this in Matthew 7, 11. Jesus is talking and he's talking about the father. And, he, and he's talking to people who understand this family relationship. And he's, he says, if you then who are evil, all you dads out here, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God wants to have that tender, beautiful relationship with us as a father. It even gives us this, this cool word we find in Romans chapter 8. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is, this is awesome. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God doesn't want you to, to fall into this kind of just terror being the baseline of your relationship. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there's this really cool word that sticks out that's not in English there. It's an Aramaic term, Abba. And, and this is a beautiful word. It's special. It's, it's separated from this. It, it, it means father. I think sometimes we turn it kind of a diminutive term where it's, it's all about this kind of baby talk. And then certainly there are many, you know, like it's something like dada, mama, abba. You know, you kind of get the idea. But in, in Aramaic culture, there, it carried a, a more way into adulthood. This term was used. It wasn't meant that this term's not here so that we all have an infant kind of relationship with our God. I genuinely believe that God is desiring to call us into mature manhood and womanhood and wants to relate to us as his mature sons and his mature daughters. And so this word Abba is not an excuse for us to fall back into infancy spiritually and just sort of collapse and watch cartoons with our God. Like that's not what he's trying to say uh, right here. Like God is, is saying Abba. He's saying I want, to, I want you to get a, this, this tender, respectful, personal name for me that you would only use for your dad. It, it literally means my father. It's almost Abba in Aramaic means it's possessive. It means my father. My father. It's personal. 
Isn't that beautiful? And so when, when we understand that we have a dad, we have this Abba in our life, our, the creator of the universe says you can call him Abba. I don't know what to do with that. I think if we did, a lot would be different, right? And I think that as we grow in maturity, God continues to teach us what that means. And so I pray that, you know, just like I understand this, you know, we're family. Didn't need to show up today. I get it. God, Father, you know, we're brothers and sisters. Good. Let's all go home. Like, no, I think that God is drawing us into a deeper understanding of these things. Because when you understand that relationship with him in a true sense, as he begins to, to deepen that in us, it changes who we are. So I pray that you'll meditate on some of these. We're going to move quickly because I just want to throw a bunch of these out. This is the part where I speed up. It says this, that if, if we're family, it means that we belong. It means that we belong. We've been saying that we don't want to just attend church. This is a place we've got to let ourselves belong. And we've got a million different reasons why we want to sort of step back and not be fully invested because we don't know what's going to happen and there's some fear there or maybe we don't trust or... You know, we've been hurt before, but God is saying, you are part of the family. You belong here. You are a son. You are a daughter. You get a whole new identity in him. I love this. You are not alone. You belong. You're not just out here trying to figure it out by yourself. You belong. You're part of the family of God. You really do belong. Some people are like, I just want to find out where I belong. I'll tell you where you belong. God has told you where you belong. You belong in his family. He has adopted you. You're not an orphan out there. No matter what's happened in your family, no matter what's happened in your life, God is saying, I am your father. You are my son and you belong. I think it's beautiful. It also means that you're secure. It means that we're not a slave anymore. We've been adopted as sons, and our status with him is permanent. Our status with him is secure. It's set because of the love of the Father. And so we serve out of love for our Father. That's why you do things as a son, as a daughter, right? Not as a slave who does things out of fear of punishment. We do things because we are loved. That's the difference. That's a beautiful thing. As we've been invited into family, we serve because we are loved by God. So you're secure. The next thing is this, it means that you're an heir. Now, we don't really talk about all of this in our culture. We don't think of it that way. We are so independent as Americans. We are each our own thing. Like, we can't hurry quick enough to establish our own family, you know, and do all this kind of thing. And we, we should. Those are, those are great things. But the continual, like, generations of family, the context of that is something that other cultures seem to understand more deeply. But let me give this word back to you. You are an heir. You're an heir. And that's crazy. Because the heir in a household gets the inheritance. We'll talk about that in a second. But it also means that there's authority given to you as a son, as a, a daughter. There's authority that comes with that. And there's also, as we said, the inheritance that comes with being an heir to God. So you're secure. You're an heir. The next one, it means that we share in his sufferings and we will also share in his glory. That's tucked away in the scripture. And I don't want to fly past that. Saying that we've been invited into his family and because we are family, we will also share in his suffering, but we will also share in his glory. And I want to say this is the family of God. You can endure suffering, and we do that together. We share in suffering. Now, we're very prideful in America. We don't like people to see us suffer, and when we do suffer, we don't want to admit it. But God has given us something beautiful inside of the family of God where we're actually able to share that suffering, right? And we can all grow from it, learn from it, and bear it with one another. We will also share in the glory of our God 
because our big brother Jesus has made us heirs with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, the next thing is this. It means you represent the Father. And when you're adopted into a family, you lose your old name and you get a new name. You literally wear the name of the household of God. When you walk into the room, you are a representative of God. You are a part of his family. You know, my dad was like, Colson's don't do that. <laughs> right? And so you, your dad probably said the same thing. They're establishing an, an identity in the family, right? We just don't cross that line. We don't do that. We act differently. You don't behave in that way. People are watching and you represent our family and we want you to go out holding that in honor because we want, and I knew when I went into a room, when I went to church as a kid, I knew I was representing my father in the very same way we get to represent him, not just in a don't want to misbehave way, but when you go out and share your faith, you are an ambassador. You are a representative of your father getting to go bring good news to people who need it with an invitation to come and join the family. How amazing. God has given us that. So you represent the father and finally uh, it means that you'll be disciplined by the father. And I know that some of you guys, that doesn't sound like a good thing. As we talked about belonging in the church, we received the good things. Everybody wants communion. Everybody wants uh, baptism. Everybody wants somebody to, to do a wedding for them. Everybody wants somebody to visit them in the hospital. Everybody wants a good sermon or a good, you know, some good music. And boy, the tankers leaves. And we want y'all to sing every week now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was really beautiful. We all want all the good things, the benefits. But one of the things of belonging to a church is we also get the things that benefit us in ways that aren't necessarily feel-good ways. It's painful at first. You see, we receive the discipline of the Father as part of his family. I read, uh, I can't remember the author who wrote it. He said, it's our painful privilege to be disciplined by God. Our painful privilege to be disciplined by such a, a loving, infinitely loving, compassionate Father. It really is beautiful. So we, we really are family. And there's discipline that happens here. We're not an enabling family that just, you know, we're, we're sharpening one another. God is taking us deeper. You see, it means so much that we're included in the family of God individually. But I want to take this out just a little bit. It also means this. Let's, let's take it horizontal. It means that we are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. Some of y'all don't have siblings. If you do have siblings, you know what a sacred thing that is. That's a big deal to be a brother, to be a sister. It's special. There's this committed hopeful, enduring kind of love among siblings that is really hard to explain. Scripture even says that there's a love that's even closer than a brother and that means his, but he used that analogy because the love between siblings is strong. Right, girls? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just beautiful. So, so what does this mean? In John 13, 34, it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another and by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me help you understand what this means. It says this. This is a, a, an amazing thing because our love for one another, this brother and sisterhood thing that God has established in us, this is God's evangelism strategy. Here's what I mean. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, as the author, you get that blank space. You could have written anything after that comma. It could have said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you have great programming. Oh, wait, no. Uh, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples because there's great performances on stage at your church. No. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples because you have great facilities. He didn't say any of that, did he? Because you have a great strategy. 
No, he said, by your love for one another, that's what's going to set you apart. And it really does. When I talk to people who come here and hang out with you guys for a few minutes, they don't walk away talking about how great all the stuff is, the peripherals. What's so shocking is these people love each other. But it's beautiful what happened up here at the beginning of the service. I remember thinking about all the things that are happening between our families that are interconnected, interdependent. There's stuff I can't even tell you about that happened this week that's just absolutely beautiful. As brothers and sisters giving and sharing one another's burdens and sacrificing and moving forward, like, it's, it's awesome. God has called us into that as we love one another. It's, I believe God desires. It's better than apologetics. It's better than having a celebrity come up here and, and do a speech about how great God is. It's better than any of that stuff. God says, love like brothers, love like sisters, love one another. Like, well, how do I love all these people? Well, just it's simple. Follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, pretty soon you're going to fall in love with the people following him. Because Jesus said, it's part of your identity. If you love me, you're going to start loving these other people. In fact, so much so that you're going to go out and find people that love each other, and you're going to find out that they're followers of me. It's an, a way to identify believers because they love one another. God will take care of it. Start following Jesus. Focus on him. He will give you love for the people that he has. You know why? Because he puts his Holy Spirit in you. And Jesus died for the people you're walking around with at work. You want to try and tell me that he doesn't love them? God desires to, to reach out to them. He was willing to sacrifice everything for him, and he is in you. And so one way or another, the dam that you've set up is going to break at some point in your life. So you might as well just go ahead and pull your finger out and let the love of God dump out. It's his love. Let him just love these people around you because that's what he desires to do. And the same is true. How can we come to church and say, well, we don't love each other? Well, Christ in you, Jesus died for each of us. He is our dad. He is our father. So very naturally, almost without trying over time, you have to try not to love people. He's saying, I'm going to make this happen in my people. You're going to love one another. It's going to happen. If you follow me, if you love me, if I'm your dad, if Christ is in you, then you're going to love like Jesus loved. You're going to love the people around you. It's just part of being a part of me. You see this? So if you're struggling with loving other people, don't panic. Just follow Jesus. Go deeper in that relationship with him, and he will establish that love. It's not something you have to conjure up and fake love people you don't love. Like, God wants to do way more than teaching you how to fake like you love people. God wants to change your heart so that you genuinely love the people he loves where it is flowing out of you. It's not a, a mask you put on. It's not a fake thing you do. It just gushes out because he is gushing out. You'll see this? This is how God works in his family. It's beautiful. You know, I, I think about this as we kind of wrap up. That Hopefully you're starting to see why this is such a big deal that, that we're family. And I, I want this to make sense. If we're family, and we're made for family, and when we see how important it is, family gives us context in our life. When you were born, the time and place you were, to the family you were born to, all of those things give context. Without family, we don't have a clue who we are, who we're connected to, or why we're here. I mean, ask anybody who didn't have that context growing up, and they'll tell you, I just, there's like a homing device that's in their heart into adulthood. I got to find context. I need to find my family. I need to check these things out. There's, there's something that, that is there, and maybe it's not that big of a thing. Sometimes it is, because we want that. We want to find where we are. Family gives us that identity. Uh, it gives us our purpose. It gives us perspective. It gives us power. It gives us fellowship. You know, honestly, it gives us people we would die for without a moment's hesitation. Family's a big deal. I mean, we don't stop and think about it, as I said before. We just lay our life down. I mean, think about your favorite moments with family for just a second. Think about it at its best when your family just really came together. 
you know, many of those, those moments came together at a table, didn't they? And, and you were at a table, and, and, and you were there, and there was food there. You're kind of feasting just a little bit. And you're sitting there with your people. You really belong. I had a chance to do this last night. Uh, it was my brother-in-law's birthday. So we're at this big, giant table over at Jennifer's parents' house. And Doug and Jan love to, to cook and prepare these amazing meals. And we just sat there and just watched stories last night. And the context where I can literally see, uh, and it started with just my wife, but these people have taken me into their family. They're my family now. And I'm looking across the table, and I'm seeing a past. I'm seeing my present. I'm seeing responsibilities for the future. All sitting around that table. The context that family gives me, the way that that works in my life is powerful. And when we think about this, that we've been included into family, it's a big deal. You have a seat at the table of God. We always have this thing over, speaking of Jennifer's house, and that same table, I know where I sit. Every t- you know what I mean? When there's a meal, I know where I sit. There's always a special breakfast. I've got Thanksgiving dinner at my family, and it works the same way. Christmas breakfast at at Jennifer's parents' house. We sit at this giant table, and there is laughter. And this time we had to pull up chairs. People are sitting on the corner. The family just continued to grow. When I first married Jennifer, there was, there was, we could fit on the table. Now we don't fit. Like The family's just expanding and growing. And we're sitting around this table, and there's laughter, and there's storytelling, and there's just this beautiful context. And never for a moment do I sit around that table and wonder if this is where I belong. I just know I do. And I look, and I see my brothers and sisters. I see uh, my, my wife's father, who is a father figure in my life in a really cool way. I love that. The same is true when I go to my family. I get to experience all those things. And the loss of family has done a number on our culture. For all the reasons why we just mentioned the benefits of a family, all those things are taken away. And we're looking at a culture that's disoriented, that's depressed, that's weak, that's burdened, that's torn down, that has no direction in their life, no meaning, no purpose. And pretty soon, eventually get to the place, so many of them, where they're really... Honestly believing that the world would be better off without them. God has made us for family. And we don't have it. We literally will kill for it. How do you explain the, the gang violence that's gone out over the world? You know why they do that? So they can be included into something. Included into a brotherhood. Included into a family. We'll do anything to find family. We're made for it. And all the while, God's like... I, I hope you guys see this, but you are a family. We are a family, a restored, healthy family. And you get to invite people into that. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I want you to think about this, that, that we are a restorative gospel community, a restorative gospel family. And God's given us like a blank check to write invitations to those around us to include them into a family. You know, I, I want to share this with you just briefly. I don't have time to tell the whole story because we, we, we have limitations. But there's this story in Scripture that I think helps us understand the heart of the Father and the way that he thinks about his kids. And you guys know the story, so uh, bear with me. I'm not going to give all the details. But we look at the story of the lost son, and we see a father whose youngest son asks for his inheritance early and goes off and squanders it in a faraway land living in a terrible lifestyle. And when he runs out of money, he's sitting in a pigsty, literally, and he wants to know what to do with his life. And he goes back to that, that homing beacon. I know I actually have a father. And he first thinks, I'm gonna go back and I wanna be a servant. You know, he says, which of my servants, or which of my father's servants don't have enough to eat? I'm just gonna go back and be a servant. Maybe he'll take me as a servant. And so you guys know the story. He gets up and he starts walking. And it says that while he's still a long way off, the father starts sprinting to him. And he runs up. 
And this son who said, I want to control the father. I want to, I want to do what I want. I want all my things. I got this. But he goes back and he's like, I, I'm going to apologize. He's got this whole long thing thought up. I'm going to say this and I'm going to grovel. And maybe if I say it all right, he'll have mercy on me and let me just be a slave. Maybe he won't literally beat me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got my speech ready. And he runs. And also the father runs up and just says it falls on him, falls on his shoulders. And the father literally just collapses with joy on his son. And he can't even get his speech out, right? He's like, well, dad, he's like, you just won't have it. He's like, I don't want to hear the speech. You're my son. And he grabs a robe and he puts that robe on his son. And he puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. He kills the fatted calf and throws a massive party. He said, son, come home. You have a seat at the table. We kept it ready for you. This is where you belong. This is where you've always belonged. Even if you think you belonged here, you do. You know, that robe is the robe of righteousness that God has given us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That ring is like a signet ring that establishes him as sons. Isn't that beautiful? And, and get this, I want you to get this. God is all about family. He wants us to see the heart of the Father there. And we don't have time to get into the older son from whichever perspective you went to. God is always trying to invite him in. It took a while for the older one to come in. In fact, the story ends where the, the older, you know, righteous son never actually entered into that family. He never even got a seat at the table. He put his own personal uh, goodness and perception of his faultlessness in front of actual relationship with the Father. Where he couldn't even enjoy just being a part of the family that night because he was so worried about what he looked like. God is saying all along, I just want you to come as you are. Come and take your seat at the family. Now, the big brother maybe didn't come inside because it was such an expensive thing. His inheritance was still there. And he's looking at it and saying, this is costing me a lot of money. This is coming out of my inheritance. Dad, you never killed the fatted calf for me. Listen, we talk about how scripture points us to a true and better version of these stories. There is a true and better older brother. His name is Jesus. And he wasn't worried about his inheritance. He wasn't worried about his robe. He, at the end of his life, after living a perfect life as the son of God, as our older brother, the firstborn from among creation, laid down his robe and they tore it in pieces at the foot of the cross. He took off his ring that you might have it. Isn't that beautiful? And our older brother didn't think uh, it was too expensive. He laid down the ultimate price, which was his life, that you could be brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ, entering into the family of God. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, if you're struggling with this whole idea of family. Maybe they're ready to belong here. But the God the Father, I believe this, our dad is looking at us and he's saying, come take your seat at the table. It's time for you to come in and really belong. For whatever reason you're standing outside the tent, whether you're grumpy that this person's in or whatever thing, you're worried about your past, he's saying, come take your seat at the table. Listen, by faith in Jesus Christ, you can come and confess your sins through his death and resurrection. He conquered sin and death and hell, and he was able to pay for the penalty of our sin so that we might be forgiven. And if you want to become a child of God, it's really simple. It's not about being religious. It's not about all these kind of things. It's about putting your faith in Jesus Christ and not in yourself. Saying, you, know, you make promises to God about how great you're going to be. You're putting your faith in yourself to change. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is saying, I can't, you can I lay my life down. Please fix me. Heal me. Come into me. Change me. Make me a new creation in you. And he performs this right of adoption in us. And he erases your past 
It's like it was never there. He brings you and gives you a new last name. Isn't that awesome? He gives you a new identity, a new purpose, a new perspective, all the inheritance and the power and the authority that comes with that. And he says, take your seat at the table. And one day, we will one day see him. And I want you to read this. This is prophetic in Isaiah 25. And then I'm done. He says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts that our girls sang about, which means the God of angel armies, will make for all people a feast at a table, right? Of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread out over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isn't that beautiful? We are the church. You have a seat at the table. By faith, take it. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com, request, or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.